like that. You Hello, everybody. Welcome that. to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. It's good to be back, ladies and gentlemen. We have had a few days off, but we are back. We are live at some point in time here to give you another excellent edition of the Logan Blackman Show here on the Logan Blackman Show. Now, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, let's go over some of the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also follow the TikTok account, which we have not posted to yet since we made the TikTok. We made that one video, posted it, and remember we got uh, copyright struck for the sound in that video from a copyright-free YouTube video, apparently. And uh, yeah, so I deleted that and haven't posted anything on there since, but you can still follow it. You can still follow it if you want to, but if not, that makes sense. I, I'm not going to push you to do anything you don't want to do, but... You can follow the other social media accounts as well. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and like and follow the Facebook page. You can check out our latest blog post on there as well. We released Montreal 3.0 on Monday. So I would greatly appreciate it if you went to go check that out on the LoganBlackmanShow.com. You can find that, again, on every single form of social media that we have. But if you don't want to go to social media or you don't have a social media account, you can follow, you can find, I guess, the mock draft on the LoganBlackmanShow.com. You can go down the main sec, the main page, scroll down a little bit, and you can find it there. Click the link there, and it'll take you to the bat, the draft. Or you can go to the blog section, and you could, you know, just scroll down the blog section, and you'll, you'll find it there, too. Now, or I guess we forgot the most important thing. Make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Like and subscribe on that. Leave a five rating out of five stars. You don't need to leave a five-star rating. I would greatly appreciate it if you did. But if you leave a rating out of five stars or one star, just let me know why you feel the way you do down in the description below. And then now we can get into what we were talking about or wanting to talk about today. And I will explain first why we did not have a show on Friday. So sun, last Sunday, so the Sunday before, you know, the last Sunday before April 3rd, we had, a, or not April 3rd. April 2nd, the the Sunday before April 2nd, so that would have been March what? March, uh, dead, 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 uh, March, hold on, I'm sorry, March 26th would have been the last Sunday before, you know, the, the previous Sunday. And I was hanging out with some friends, we were watching basketball, you know, as one does, it's March Madness time, or it just got over, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. It's that time. So you're all getting together to watch a bunch of different basketball games. We hung out Saturday night, and then we went over to a friend's house to watch it on Sunday night. And one of our friends, good old Jared, who has been on this podcast before, was having an allergy attack. And Jared's eyes were watering. His nose was streaming. Everything was going bad. He was sneezing. He was horrible. It turns out he had the cold. And uh, just so happy, the only reason I know he had the cold now is because every single person there got some sort of bug this past week. So thank you, Jared. Thank you for that. You caused the great listeners of the Logan Blackman Show to miss out on an excellent edition of the Logan Blackman Show, which we would have had for you on Friday to preview everything that was going on in the weekend. But I guess we couldn't do that now, could we? No, we could not do that. Terrible, terrible stuff, terrible stuff. I didn't get real or didn't really feel that bad until Wednesday. And Wednesday was not, or no, it was Thursday. Thursday I got bad. I was sitting on my couch Wednesday afternoon, or Wednesday evening, I guess, not Wednesday afternoon. I was watching The Godfather Part 2. Recently just watched The Godfather Part 1 and Godfather Part 2. Very nice movies, very long movies. you got to properly plan out those evenings 
when you're watching those movies because they're super freaking long. And I'm sitting on the couch watching The Godfather 2, eating a Toblerone, as one does. I mean, it's a, it's a nice treat. It is a nice treat, a Toblerone. And I'm sitting there eating a Toblerone, feeling fine, drinking some peppermint tea, as one does. And I get a text from Jared's girlfriend. Yes, the same person that got was sick on Sunday, his girlfriend is now texting me, and I don't have my phone with me. It's in my bedroom. It's charging right now. But she said something along the lines of, are you breathing okay? Or are you stu- you got a stuffy nose or something like that? Because her and Andrew, who we've brought up on the show before, who lives with Jared, who was at the apartment on Sunday while the sickness was going around. We were not down with the sickness, I guess you could say. Greta was there, which is Andrew's girlfriend. And Miranda and Greta were hanging out on Wednesday night. They were having a, a wine Wednesday of sorts. And I get the text from Miranda about, oh, this is, uh, are you you having a stuffy nose? And I was like, no, I feel relatively fine. And then she texts me and goes, where do you feel like crap? You're next. Or something along those lines. A very threatening message, putting the the all the bad energy towards me. I didn't do nothing. I was sitting down by myself, watching a fantastic film, eating a Toblerone again, as one does. And then I wake up Thursday. And feel like absolute crap. Because we recorded Wednesday's show. We had the show on Wednesday. And um, we did the whole night show. Like it was a whole long... Like Remember we talked about it on Wednesday? We recorded on Tuesday. Going on Wednesday. We recorded that whole thing. It was about two and a half hours long or two hours. Somewhere between two and two and a half hours. Because we were hanging out with friends that evening. And I had to do the baseball preview and all that stuff. So we were done with that show. Had another show planned for Friday. And then you don't feel good Thursday. And there's part of me that's like, oh, I could have probably done something. I could have recorded like a half hour show. But that's not even worth it at that point. So I just bit the bullet. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit this one out, guys. I'm going to tap out. Because I felt like crap on Thursday. I felt like crap on Thursday. Felt fine Friday and then was back to normal on Saturday. As, as normal as I could be, I guess you could say. But man, Thursday was rough. Thursday was rough. And I got I got cursed. I got absolutely cursed because I saw her, when was it, on Friday. She was hanging out with Jared. I went down to their apartment. We were watching basketball again. And I said, you put a hex on me because I felt like that was the appropriate response to have. As someone who's 25 years old and a very mature individual, I feel like that was the most appropriate thing I could have done at that exact moment. Because I was hurt. I was hurt. Getting sick is not fun. Regardless if it's for a day, an hour, a minute, it's not fun to get sick. Thankfully, though, I've only gotten, so, you know, the big thing. You might have heard this little thing called COVID. Might have heard of it. I did not have that. I've only gotten COVID once, and that was two years ago. I got it in September two years ago. I lost my sense of smell for about three months. And I thought it was going to be bad when I first heard about the whole losing of the smell thing. And then I realized how little things I'm going around smelling you don't realize you don't do something until it's gone. Or like, man, I miss smelling a match when I light a candle. I didn't have that sensation anymore. So I did not have that. I did not have that, which was nice. And everybody that was at that get-together, I guess you could say, is back to normal health. Or as normal as one can be for the people that were there. It's fine. And now we're here recording a show. Yeah, let's go. Logan Blackman Show is back. No longer sick. No longer sick. Uh, I'm tired. I'm tired because I took a two-week break from being better than all of you. Stopped working out for a little bit. And then I got back on the saddle on Monday. And then uh, I woke up early today and I feel tired. I am tired. <laughs> I'm very tired right now. 
and, I, and it'll get better. Because there was a stretch for those two weeks where I was getting up early and I was fine. I was cruising through everything. But now that I haven't done it for two weeks and trying to get back on that saddle, it has been a trek to try and get up in the morning. So I got a massive-ass water bottle next to me to try and keep me up. I'm trying to stay away from energy drinks even though I had one today because I didn't think I was going to make it through the day if I didn't have one. Or be able to record such an amazing podcast for all of you guys. Now, with that, being sick on Thursday... Getting better Friday. That got me enough time or bought me enough time to be better for the awesome events that took place that weekend. That, and now, we couldn't talk about it on the Logan Blackman show, but we were ready for things to take place. And it was going to be an exciting time. I did not want to open up Google Maps. I wanted to open the calendar. There we go. It's, it was going to be an exciting time. Because on Friday, okay, Friday, or even before Friday, I guess you could say, we'll go back to the, to the freaking 25th. When we had the Elite Eight basketball games. So we had um, the Elite Eight. for the. We'll start with the women's tournament first. Because I think that's the thing that's getting the most publicity at this point in time. I feel like that's the most appropriate thing to talk about. Which, if you would have told me before the tournament that the women's tournament would be getting way more publicity than the men's tournament. A lot of people would have said you're crazy. A lot of people. And this is, we'll get to why it's getting talked about a lot in a little bit. But I think for the growth of the sport, I think it's a good thing. The The talking points are annoying, but it's a good thing because it's actually getting in the circles and more people are going to turn, turn to it more often now. But, you know, we talked about the women's bracket. How my March Madness bracket for the women's tournament was damn near perfect. We had one of the most insane women's brackets of all freaking time. It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. You look at the Elite Eight that we had there, we had every single team right apart from two. Because I didn't think Stanford would lose to Ole Miss. One, because I didn't have Ole Miss winning in the first round. So that was never even on the cards for me for Stanford to lose Ole Miss. Didn't have Ole Miss winning in the first round. I'm losing Gonzaga. And then Miami. Made the Elite Eight. Beating Indiana. Similar situation. I didn't have them winning the first round. I didn't lose to Oklahoma State, who they beat by one point. And then they beat Indiana by two points. And they beat Villanova by five. And then they lost to, you know, LSU. 40, it scored 42 points in that game. One of the hardest games I've had to watch in a really long time in regards to offensive output, which is crazy to look at that game. And then we'll get to the game in a little bit. That happened on Sunday and go from the different scoring output from that game to this game. Completely different stuff. But the Elite Eight, we only had two teams wrong. And then the Final Four was taking place. The last game that we had to have was Ohio State-Virginia Tech. We had that exact game. We had the matchup. Stupid me had faith in Iowa State. I had Iowa State, I guess, going to the Sweet 16. They lost in the freaking first round to Toledo. Great stuff there, Iowa State. Fantastic. And um, so we had Ohio State versus Virginia Tech. And I got Iowa in the Final Four. I got South Carolina in the Final Four. I had LSU in the Final Four. And it was Ohio State versus Virginia Tech. And this was the night of... When was that? That was... Was that Wednesday night? I think it was Wednesday night that game took place. Because I went on a longboard ride with Andrew. No, no. It was Tuesday night when that game took place. Tuesday night when that game took place. Wednesday night is... When, when the hell did this game take place? When When is that game? I'm, I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when it was. I watched the tail end of it. Got to see the tail end of the game. And it was a good one. It was a good one. We had Ohio State winning and Virginia Tech ended up winning. Which is sad. So we got one Final Four team wrong out of this one. Which is complete opposite for the men's tournament. We had one Final Four team right. And that was the team that ultimately ended up winning the tournament. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. The Final Four took place this past weekend on Sunday. Or on Saturday. Friday. Friday. Good Lord. Friday. <laughs> we had LSU taking on Virginia Tech. LSU won. So there's my first final team right. I had LSU 
And then the winner of Iowa, South Carolina, because I had that matchup going in. And South Carolina going into this game, weirdly, uh, it was kind of a, a disrespectful thing regards to the, the line in this game by all the betters out there. We'll get to disrespect a little bit deeper here in a little bit. But the disrespect on Iowa to go 11 points, it was originally 12, and then it lowered down to 11. This is a team that just scored 97 points the game prior. They're not going to lose by 12. They're not going to lose by 12. That was my mindset going into that game. They're not going to lose by 12 points. They're not going to lose by 11. Whatever it is, they're not going to do that. And Iowa came in and played a damn near perfect game against South Carolina. Had a really elite game plan going into that game in regards to South Carolina famously, famously dominates the paint. Dominates the paint. Dominates offensive rebounds. Dominates defensive rebounds. Dominates on the defensive end of the floor. And Iowa was like, we'll dare you to shoot. Your most dominant area is your paint. Is how you play in the paint. You've got the size. You're going to win on the rebounds. So we'll just let you guys shoot. We'll take away your strength and force you to do your weakness. And Iowa would let a, a chick that shot 21% from three shoot threes. And South Carolina, to the surprise of pretty much no one, if you watched, you know, if you looked at the stats before the game, South Carolina didn't shoot well from three. They went four for 20 from three-point range. They didn't shoot well. And Iowa just let them have shots. They just let them have it. So it wasn't like there were a lot of shots that were really covered for South Carolina. They just let them shoot. And it worked out in Iowa's favor as they came out with a four-point victory. Again, a game where they were 11-point underdogs. I don't know what the line was going into the national championship game. I didn't see any line for that one. Let's see if we could pull that one up. Is there a way I could pull up the line for the national championship game between Iowa and Illinois? Or Illinois LSU? Iowa was a three-point favorite going into this game. Iowa was a three-point favorite. And there was a lot of stuff going into this game. That was very interesting. Very interesting, different points of view. Uh, there were some videos going around about how each team prepared for each game, how they played living going into this game. Again, this is an LSU team that scored 54 points in the Elite Eight. In that same round, Iowa scored 97. Like, this was a game where, as an Iowa fan, as someone from the state of Iowa, you were feeling a certain level of confidence. And I think that's what the nation was kind of feeling as well. You got the best player in the country in Caitlin Clark, who just won the Naismith Player of the Year. She won the point guard of the year as well. She won a few other awards since the weekend happened. And everybody was kind of leaning towards the fact of Iowa's going to win this national championship. You see how well they're shooting. They're scoring at will. Like, they're going to win it. You see how well they played against the team that had not lost in, like, two years or something? Or, like, what were they on? They were on an insane win streak. They were undefeated going into the tournament. Favorites going to win the tournament again. They won the championship last year. 36-0 going into the tournament. And then... Iowa, with six losses at the time, comes in and plays again. A perfect play, a perfect game in regards to letting South Carolina's weakness try to beat them. And South Carolina, in the same breath, said, let's have Iowa's strength beat us. <laughs> Caitlin Clark scored 40-plus again. And in this game, Iowa-LSU leading into it, there was a lot of talk of who disrespected who. I didn't really hear... Now, again, I could be listening to the wrong people. I could have had the wrong stuff up. But I don't know where Iowa necessarily disrespected LSU. Because I can understand to a certain point where they're coming from with allowing South Carolina to shoot the ball when they're not good shooters. Famously not good shooters. Dominant in the paint, dominant rebounding, dominant everything inside the arc. It's just once you get on the outside of that, they start to struggle a little bit. So Iowa fed into that. There's no disrespect there. You just, if you can win doing that, we're fine with doing that. South Carolina, again, allowed Iowa to beat them with their best player which is usually not a good recipe for success, which is why South Carolina ended up losing the game. But LSU turned that into, 
Iowa's disrespecting LSU, we're not going to miss the shots that South Carolina did. They, were, they better not leave us as open. Like, it was a weird thing. It was kind of like when the, the Cincinnati Bengals during the, the season this past year, when the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs were selling tickets down for Atlanta for the possible AFC Championship game, it was like, oh, the Bengals are getting slighted. But no, the only way the game could have get played in Atlanta is if the Bills and Chiefs played there. There was no possible scenario of where the Cincinnati Bengals would play down in Kansas, down in Atlanta. There's zero percent chance that could happen. The only chance they could play in the AFC Championship game and sell their own tickets is if they went to if they beat the Bills and the Jaguars beat the Chiefs. The Jet, the Cincinnati Bengals sold tickets before the Bills game for the AFC Championship game in Cincinnati and put TBD right there. But the only way you could play your game at home is you play Jacksonville. They were selling tickets at, before they beat Baltimore about going to this round. Like, teams sell tickets all the time, but you got to create these narratives to try and motivate yourself, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that to a certain extent, unless it gets, like, too out of hand, which is kind of what Cincinnati's did. Like, Joe Burrow posts on Instagram, uninvited guest or something like that, which, again, they were selling tickets. It wasn't like the Bills and Chiefs were the only team selling tickets, and the Bengals were like, well, that's not fair. You can't do that. No, Brainiacs, every single team sells tickets for playoff games before they even played in the game. It's crazy how that works. It's crazy how that works out. And that was kind of a similar situation here. Never did I hear Iowa disrespect LSU, but if LSU felt them, Iowa playing off so far on the three-point line against South Carolina was a slight to them, then by all means you can create that narrative, but that's not what I perceived it to be. And the game took place and it started off, you know, pretty run-of-the-mill. At least from my standpoint, watching Iowa throughout this tournament, Iowa got up to a lead. They were making shots early. And then it got a little closer because it's the national championship game. The chances of a blowout happening are very slim. For the most part. For the most part. And we'll get to what the actual score was here in a little bit. But when you're sitting there at that time, you're not expecting Iowa, as a fan, you're not going in there, oh, they're going to absolutely trounce LSU, which is why they were only a three-point favorite. It wasn't going to be an absolute bloodbath in this game from a, from a standpoint of an Iowa fan at that point in time. You knew LSU was going to make their shots. You knew Iowa was going to make their shots. This is going to be a really fun game. LSU is more expansive than South Carolina is. And LSU lost only two games this year. So the fact they were a three seed, I watched LSU at random points this year. It's why I had them in the national championship game. Because I had seen them this year. I didn't know enough about them to go, oh, this is why they're a three seed. I don't know why they're a three seed. I know why Iowa is a two seed. I thought Iowa should be a one seed. But Iowa with six losses versus LSU with two losses, it's kind of weird to me, especially when you got the SEC and the Big Ten. It's not like you got some podunk conference there. Like when Drake, when they were really dominant in the early 2000s, like 2008, they were a five seed. They were a dominant team. They had a better record than some of the teams that ranked higher than them because that was they were in a lower conference. It just made sense. Is the I guess the SEC is technically lower than the Big Ten in basketball. I guess I don't know women's basketball. I know the men's side, they love themselves the Big Ten Conference. Absolutely love themselves. So the point of where it's kind of sad how many teams get into the tournament and lose every single year. Every single year. Including Iowa. Including Iowa. Losing Auburn the first round this year. But the game went on and things started to pull away from Iowa. LSU got insanely hot from three. Insanely hot. Like in the game, LSU went 11 for 17 from the three-point line. 11 for 17. They shot 64% from three. They went unconscious for three. One of their players coming off the bench. My mouse went away. There it is. One of their players, Jasmine Carson, coming off the bench, averaged in this tournament 2.2 points a game. 2.2. 
Going into this game, she was averaging 2.2 points per game. Just in the tournament. I'm not saying for the whole season. She averaged 8.8 points a game for the entire season. In the first half, she had 21 points. In the first half, she went 5 of 6 from 3. That is insane. She went literally unconscious. There was there was one point she had a shot where she was covered. And I was like, before it even hit the bat, hit the net, it was like, oh yeah, just shoot it. Might as well. You're not missing anything. LSU went literally unconscious from three. Like they could not, there was nothing they could do wrong in that game in regards from shooting the ball from deep. They dominated that game in regards to how efficient they were shooting the ball. They shot 54% from the field, 64% from three. Iowa, who is famously an elite three-point shooting team, only shot 46% from three. They shot the three-pointer 30 times. And that's kind of what you need to do in these kind of situations to where you're losing big, you're just going to start launching threes. And Iowa is good enough to where they could make threes to kind of cut the lead down. And they got really close at the start of the second half, and then it was just done after that. There was a point where you're like, oh, Iowa's going to come back. Iowa's going to win this game. They got railed into it at halftime. Lisa Bluter let her opinions fly. Kaitlin Clark rallied the troops and all that stuff. And they're going to come back firing. And they did. And they got the lead down short, and then LSU started pulling away again. And it wasn't even that LSU was keep unconsciously making threes in the second half. They did a lot of that in the first half, but they just kept stop. They couldn't stop scoring. LSU was super efficient from the field. They scored 102 points in this game. When we talked about earlier with that a blowout in the national championship game rarely happens, Iowa scored, and I said this after the Louisville game, Iowa beat Louisville 97-83. Louisville scored 83 points and got beat by 14. 83 points. In the same round as them scoring 83 points and losing, only one other team, or no, two other teams, sorry, discounting Iowa, obviously, scored more points than them. South Carolina scored 86, and then Virginia Tech scored 84. Louisville scored 83 and lost by 14 points. This is a similar situation when we talked about with Iowa this year, when Iowa played uh, Wisconsin and Nebraska played Michigan. They had the same exact yard number of yards in that game. Iowa dominated and Michigan blew out, or Iowa won and Michigan blew out Nebraska. It's kind of a similar situation to that. You score 83 points in the game, you expect to win. You expect to win, especially when the team that eventually won the national championship game scored 54 points. 54. Miami scored 42 points in this game. I got to check this. That is the, well, there's one. Michigan scored 42 points. Did any other team score less than 42 points? Chattanooga scored 33. Okay, that doesn't count. (laughs) Chattanooga, thanks for coming out. So other than Chattanooga, East Carolina scored 40. There were, okay, let's just put it like this. There were not a lot of teams that scored less than 42 points in the entire tournament, let alone in the Elite Eight. And Miami scored 42 points. It was a horrific game to watch. Absolutely horrific game to watch. And then you had Iowa, the same night, score 90, what, 97 points? In a dominating win, they couldn't miss anything? 97 points. And again, you're going to tell me the team that scored 54 points in the Elite Eight game is going to not only beat the team that scored 97 points, but dominate them and score 102 points? They were close to doubling their point total from the Elite Eight game. They scored 102 points. Quick math here. They needed six more points to equal (laughs) the double mark of what they got. They needed six more points to double what they scored in the Elite Eight. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. And all the credit in the world to LSU. 
All the credit in the world to LSU. Got close. Got close. I had my score prediction 80-74. to 74. That was way wrong. Iowa, I had them winning 80-74. 80, 80 to 74. They scored 85. LSU obviously scored 102. They scored a lot more points than what I expected them to score in this game. Especially, that was before the tournament. Like, this was a really fun game. Really, really fun tournament. And the national championship game got overshadowed, for the, for the most part, by two things. Two very big things. The first one being the officiating. The officiating was horrific the entire freaking time. It was trending on Twitter worldwide for a little bit. There were 9.9 million viewers for this game. 9.9 million viewers. Which is more than a few Thursday night football, or I think maybe all Thursday night football games this year. There's some graphic I saw earlier today that talked about the viewership for the Women's National Championship game and like Thursday night football and stuff like that. Insane number of people watched this game. Yeah, the Iowa-Louisville game was one of the most watched basketball games of the year. It was the most watched basketball game. It was, it was more watched than any NBA game this year. I think that's what they said. Again, I don't have this stuff in front of me. I'm trying to remember exactly what, <laughs> what it was said. Again, that was a while ago. I recorded a show in a few days. In a week. I recorded a show in a week, so I apologize for sounding a little rusty here. But the officiating was brutal. Kim Mulkey was on the court pretty much the entire time. She literally hit an official one time, never got a technical or anything for that. It was very soft. It was called on both ends. It wasn't like it was skewed one way. It got more skewed towards Iowa in regards to they were calling a lot more ticky-tack fouls on Iowa towards the end of the game or as the game went on. But at the start, it was like, okay, what are we doing here? What are we doing? It was some fragile ego things. Like, Kaitlin Clark got a technical foul for throwing the ball. Not throwing is the, is saying it insanely. That, that is putting a lot more emphasis on it. Kaitlin Clark set the ball down, essentially. I guess you could say she tossed it. I don't I don't know if you want to... Regardless, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. LSU got four free throws after that. Because they got the technical, and they got the foul anyways. Like, it was an insane amount of officiating. Like, hey, hey, this game is not about them. This is about us. It's about us, the officials. This is our game. This game will go how we decided to go in regards to how many freaking foul calls we're going to call in this game. Iowa's two best players get into foul trouble early in the game. LSU's best players get into foul trouble early in the game. And we had to watch this stupid official match. Fragile Eagles from the officials. But then the other thing, I would say more recently has dominated the headlines, and that is regarding uh, the exchange between Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese. Angel Reese is a sophomore on LSU. She got a double-double in this game. She had a double-double, I think, in every single game of this tournament. She set a record, I believe, as well. For most double-doubles in a season, she had 15 points and 10 rebounds. It was a very quiet double-double. Like, I didn't know she was anywhere close to a double-double until they announced she had a double-double because she got in foul trouble early. So I didn't even think she was close to it. That's no disrespect. Again, I mean no disrespect. I mean no disrespect. I didn't think she was close to a double-double, and she got one. And she got one. Kaylin Clark was two assists away from a double-double, and she was shooting out of frustration at times in this game. And that's where I think Lisa Bluter and it's gonna be it was gonna be hard to do this because she's the best player in the country to say hey you need to cool down a little bit because she's just shooting to, for the sake of shooting. But if you watch the Louisville game, one thing that I remembered seeing was Caitlin Clark doing the John Cena can't see me thing to Iowa's bench. Like it was one thing that's been thrown around a lot recently, and that's been thrown around a lot recently because Angel Reese did it to Caitlin Clark, and I thought it was hilarious. So when it first happened. They were around the free throw line or something like that. And I Angel Reese mouthed, or said something to Kaylin Clark, like, this isn't a one-man show or something like that. And then did the, the John Cena thing. 
And Caitlin Clark, I don't even know if saw it or not. But Angel Reese did it there. And I was like, okay, that's fair. If you dish it out, you got to take it. If you dish it out, you got to take it. It got weird when she followed her to after the game was over for about 10, 15 seconds and kept doing it and then doing the ring point thing. And it's funny how like media portrays this kind of stuff and how we can skew different things to view however we want them to. Because obviously in this time and age where we are right now, everything, and I mean everything, is involving something to do with race. In some matter, whether it rightly or wrongly, that's what it seems to be going right now. So when the game ended, it seemed like it was like the people that are defending Caitlin Clark, they're calling her like the great, great white hope or something like that on Twitter. And yeah, people saying, oh, we don't, people don't like Angel Reese because he's black. And it was a really weird situation on Twitter where it was like, I don't really have a big issue with it. The only thing I find, and I like people are going like classless on Twitter. I'm not going to go that direction with it. I just thought it was weird. I was really weird. And then when you, like what I said, when social media tries to skew things in their direction to try and skew, like get you on their side, people were acting like that. The free throw line thing was the only thing she did, which again, that's fine. I have no issue with that whatsoever. Caitlin Clark did it. So she has every right to get it back. When you're following someone around for about 10, 15 seconds after the game, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Again, I'm not going to go down the class route because I don't think it's classless. It's a part of sports. Shit talking is a part of sports. It can be in a, a quote-unquote egregious amount, I guess. But it's not classless, okay? So I don't think that's really the issue here. But I, the issue I kind of have with it is people go like, comparing it to Joe Burrow doing the ring point, Aaron Donald doing the ring point, Steph Curry doing the ring point. The major difference that we're talking about here is that she followed Caitlin Clark around. In those three examples, Joe Burrow did it to his sideline. Steph Curry was facing away from the rest of the team, the rest of the opposing team, and Aaron Donald did it facing the op, not anywhere near the Bengals players. So it's all situations that are completely different, and Caitlin Clark's situation, doing it to her bench, is a lot different. No matter how many people want to skew it in their direction, it's a lot different than doing it after the game, following them around for 10, 15 seconds. And people are like, well, you're going to count it out now? Well, yeah, that's uh, that's the level of disrespect. That's where the thing lies there. That's where the problem lies here. If it was just the first time, that's completely fine. And again, I got to keep reiterating this because I don't really have like, I never got angry about it. I started laughing when it first happened. I started laughing because she dished it out. She got to take it. That's her celebration. Someone's going to do it back. That's just how sports works. Remember Antoine Winfield doing the peace sign to Tyreek Hill. But that was it. Like, after that, it was done. Antoine Winfield peaced Tyreek Hill, got up and ran away. He didn't follow him around after the game and then keep doing the peace sign to Tyreek Hill. It was that moment, it was done. That's the weird kind of cringy part. I thought it was more cringy than anything. And the funniest thing about it was Caitlin Clark didn't react. Because she was trying to do it to get a reaction out of Caitlin Clark, and she didn't react. So that's what kind of made it even more weird. Like, doing the ring point and this can't see me thing. I don't know if Kaylin Clark saw her once, let alone at the free throw or at the end of the game. I don't think she saw her at the free throw line. So, like, and the person, again, this is what was kind of funny out of all of this, the person that's going to have the least amount of problem with this is the chick that got the quote-unquote disrespect done to. That's Kaylin Clark. Kaylin Clark don't care. She wanted ESPN today and said she wants no hate towards Angel Reese. I got no hate towards Angel Reese. Again, I thought it was funny. I was watching some friends watching the game there. They were upset about it. I was like, oh, hey, Caitlin Clark did it. So she's going to get it back. It doesn't matter if it was to Iowa's bench or if it was to a player on Louisville. Doesn't matter what. 
that was their celebration. Someone's going to do it. It's just the trip of the trade. But again, the the, the following afterwards is kind of weird. And then the, the other thing that's kind of weird is the handshake line at the end. Because I saw people saying, like, you won't see that after a national championship game. UConn just beat San Diego State last night. And UConn, after winning the game, did the handshake line. I've never been, like, a massive, oh, you have to do the handshake line. But people defending, like, oh, they're celebrating. Like, it's it was kind of weird. It's just weird. There's some weird parts to it. No disres- no classness or whatever. I don't care about that. It's sports. You're going to get your feelings hurt. It's going to happen. But it was weird. I could say it was weird. <laughs> it was very, very weird. And if she followed, if, if, um, if Joe Burrow, after throwing that touchdown in the national championship game against Clemson, ran up to like Trevor Lawrence before the game and did the ring point, <laughs> that would be weird. That would be weird. I saw people on Twitter going like, this is different than, like, this is no different than like Terrell Owens did the star thing at Dallas. It was weird. <laughs> it was weird then. It's weird now. That's why he got hit for it. He tried to do it again, and he got checked from the back. <laughs> like, they took disrespect to that. Like, you can compare it to all these different things. It still is, it, it like, the moments you're comparing it to were weird at the Richard Sherman after Michael Crabtree's thing. That was weird. <laughs> Them talking about Caitlin Clark during the trophy ceremony was weird. It's not class. It's not, what do you, again... It's not showing zero class. It's just weird. It is just weird. And I'm not saying LSU wasn't class. Their point guard, uh, what was her name? Morris. There was a point in time, I think it was after the South Carolina game, that her and Kalen Carr dapped each other up, and it was sweet. Like, that respect's there. You're gonna, Adrenaline's rushing after a game. You're going to do stuff that, in the moment, that you might not do. I'm not saying they wouldn't do this in a general situation, but you might not do if your adrenaline's not going through the freaking roof. But there's respect there. They might not be like loud after the game and celebratory and all that stuff. But there is respect there. There is mutual respect there. Like the video of Morris and Clayton, Caitlin Clark dapping each other up was sweet. It was a really cool video. And again, Caitlin Clark is the person that is involved the most in this. She gives zero shits about this. <laughs> again, it didn't even look like she saw it happen live. And then she's on ESPN talking about it. She's fine with it. She's perfectly fine with it. So that should be the end of it. Because as someone who lives in the state of Iowa, as someone that grew up an Iowa fan, as someone that watched this team this year, it has dominated my Twitter feed. Social media feeds everywhere. It has dominated it. I'm tired of seeing it. So hopefully Kaylin Clark talking about it has put the final sword in it that we're done. But again, like I said before, in regards to the actual growth of women's basketball and just women's sports in general, that was really, it's a really good moment. It's not like a very... Oh, that was like, there's going to be people that dislike it, but for the growth of it and people are going to start tuning in more now, they know who Angel Reese is. They already knew who Caitlin Clark was. And a lot of people knew who Angel Reese was. I don't want to sound like she was a nobody before this moment. Cause again, she had a, she set the record for double doubles this season. She had a double double in every game, this tournament. Do I think she was the player of the tournament? No, I think the person scored, what was it? 110 points in three straight games, set the record for scoring in a tournament ever. I think that one's the player of the tournament, but it's kind of like the Jalen Hurts thing. It's going to be hard to give the player of the tournament to somebody that lost. Like, Jalen Hurts was the best player in the Super Bowl. And they gave the MVP to Patrick Mahomes. It's one of those things. I understand where it comes from. Angel Reese got that. So a lot of people are going to be tuning into this. Because Angel Reese is a sophomore. Caitlin Clark's a junior. Caitlin Clark can't go to the WNBA. Because I didn't know this, that there was a, an age limit for the WNBA. 
where it's like, oh, you have to be, you have to have like four years of playing in college or something, four years post high school or something. I didn't know that. I thought Kaylin Clark would be able to go because I remember hearing something earlier this year. It's like she hasn't decided if she's staying or she's going because, oh, the money's going to be good at Iowa, which it will be. But I was like, oh, she's going to decide. No, she just couldn't go. <laughs> she can go to the NBA. So people are going to talk about this rivalry, potential rivalry, between Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. And Iowa is going to be probably right back in this exact same situation next year. Maybe not against LSU. Maybe LSU might play someone different in the national championship again. But I can guarantee with how these two teams were motivated in this game and how this could motivate them for the future, like South Carolina, LSU made up reasons to be motivated in this game. They don't need really need a lot to get motivated for something. So I wouldn't be surprised they're back in this situation next year. Iowa's going to be pissed off. Kalen Clark's going to come back and play with a vengeful fury next year, one would imagine. So it's going to be fun. And Paige Brooker's going to come back for UConn. She tore, I think she tore her ACL earlier in the year. So that'll be fun to see how that game takes out if Iowa and UConn and LSU all play each other. But this overall, this game, this tournament was the best thing that could have happened for women's sports in general. I think it's a really cool thing to see. Because there were people, like, my dad was watching the Iowa game. He's yelling at the TV. I've never seen, like, my family members, and again, I'm not trying to say this with disrespect, I haven't watched a lot of women's basketball in my time. I watched Iowa women's basketball. I watched you and I women's basketball because I had to film games. But other than that, until this year, I never really watched women's basketball. And I got people that never watched women's basketball, because I at least watched some of it. Not, like, religiously. I'm not going to say you're like, I have to be here at this exact time to watch this game. I was doing that for Iowa women's basketball in the tournament. As a lot of people in the state of Iowa were. And even people outside the state of Iowa just to watch Caitlin Clark play. That's just that Des Moines thing, you know? You got that... If you're from Des Moines, you got that basketball skill. It just happens like that. But then this just blew up everything. Like, I thought it was crazy. Like, I remember last year... So South Carolina won the national championship... I don't remember anything happening post-South Carolina winning the national championship game. I remember it happened, and then it was done. No one was talking about it. People are still... Hell, I'm talking... It's Tuesday, April 4th. I'm still talking about Iowa's women's basketball game. Everybody's still talking about this. Like, this is only good for the long term. It might suck in the moment for a lot of people. They don't like this thing. Angel Reese screw her. And I give credit to Angel Reese as well, because she's taking the villain role and running with it. There's got to be villains. There's got to be villains in sports, and she is taking it and running with it. She's been on social media every freaking day. I don't like how Twitter works now where it's just like, I don't follow Angel Reese, but I see her tweets every freaking day. I see it every freaking day. So she's doing the villain role. She's doing that fine because everybody already likes Kaylin Clark. Everybody likes Kaylin Clark because, you know, she's from Iowa. Everybody loves Kaylin. Everybody loves the state of Iowa, obviously. But no, this is the most exciting era of women's basketball in recent memory. Like, Kayla, you have these discussions about with friends loosely, where it's like, could this girl play in the NBA? I think if Kaylin Clark was a spot up shooter in the NBA, that yeah, she could definitely play in the NBA. Her shooting is ridiculous. There's shots she took in that game against LSU, let alone the entire tournament. They're like, why'd you shoot that? Oh, that's why. And it just goes in. She's automatic from freaking everywhere. She played in boys' AAU tournaments growing up as well. So, Kaylin Clark's a freaking baller. Kaylin Clark's freaking ball. And once it's all said and done, she could go down as the greatest college basketball player of all time. Like, that's how insane Kaylin Clark is. She's exciting to watch. Definitely growing around the state of Iowa, growing around nationally. People are wanting to watch Kaylin Clark. Now they're going to watch even more next year. So, again, it's a good thing long term. I'm excited to see where this goes. Because I certainly enjoyed watching this tournament. I really enjoyed watching this tournament. 
which is something I didn't really know if I would say beforehand. Like, I filled out a bracket. I fill out a women's bracket every year. And it has varying success. It's usually when Iowa has a good team, like when Megan Gustafson was there. We filled out a bracket for that. This tournament, we filled it out. And, you know, you pick Iowa because you're like, ah, oh, let's see what happens. But I actually believed this team could win because I thought they would be a one seed. And the one seed in the tournament and their side of the bracket lost in the second round to a team I had losing in the first round. And then the team in the first round that I had them losing to, they beat by 71 to 48. Ridiculous. Drake lost to Louisville, barely. Drake should have beat Louisville. But it's fun. All in good fun. Sport Shit talking is a part of sports. You can think it went a little too far. I think it was a little weird and went a little too far. But it's nothing that is like you need to kick her out of sports. She shouldn't play basketball anymore. I do think it's funny, though, now. I saw Jill Biden, you know, wife to Joe Biden, said that she's going to think about inviting Iowa to the White House. And Caitlin Clark said no nah to that, too. She was like, I don't think the losers ever go to the White House. And that was something going in there as well. Because Angel Reese said something on Twitter about that too. Because again, she's taking over the villain role. So it was like, yeah, Iowa shouldn't go to the national, go to the White House. They shouldn't. They didn't win the national championship game. That's a little disrespectful. If we're going to talk about disrespect towards LSU, inviting the team they just beat by double digits in the national championship game to the White House. Yeah, I could see where that's disrespectful. But it's fun. It was really fun. I thoroughly enjoyed this tournament. This was one of my favorite March Madness years ever. I really enjoyed this. Regards, regardless of men's or women's, like this was an insane March Madness. For the men's side, San Diego State in the national championship, there was a team that was going to play in their first ever national championship game in the Final Four. Three teams were going to play in their first national championship game. Three teams were playing in their first ever Final Four, let alone play for their first national championship game. And three teams that were in that realm, I had all losing in the first round. In Miami, San Diego State, and uh, Florida Atlantic. And you know what's sad? Never, and I, I'm not afraid to admit this, never did I have them winning those games. <laughs> I always had Charleston winning. I always had Memphis winning. And I always had Drake winning. I, hell, I had Drake going to the Sweet 16. Because I had Kent State beating Indiana. And I still managed to win. I won two of my three brackets I was in. I won two of them. I lost the third one. And the third one, uh, the three teams, the only teams that fi- people finished above me had UConn winning the national championship game. I finished with 760 points, came fourth. Just by myself, fourth place. We had p- three people pick UConn. I had UConn in the national championship game. I had him losing. In hindsight, given how dominant UConn run, UConn's run was, I should have picked UConn. Really should have picked UConn. Like, cause I saw a grab. Where is it? Um, is it this one? Yeah. The Huskies held... Each of their last three opponents under 60 points. Since the tournament field expanded this in 1985, the only other team to hold their opponents under 60 points in its Elite Eight Final Four and National Championship games was UConn in 2014. That was the Shabazz Napier team. And UConn has now won five National Championship games, so now you could consider them a blue blood in college basketball. They have won four of their five National Championship games in Texas. So next time there's a National Championship game being held somewhere in Texas... I am picking UConn. I don't care if they're a 16 seed. I am picking UConn. Because that's just bound to happen that they win a national championship game in Texas. And it felt I felt bad. I felt bad because it was like I would love to see like Florida Atlantic win the national championship game. I thought it'd have been really cool. I would love to see San Diego State win a national championship game. But with how dominant UConn was, it's like there's no way they're losing this game. No way they're losing this game. And there's going to be people in time that are going to probably diminish UConn's accomplishments because they played no real high seeds. They never played a one seed in the tournament. They played Arkansas, who beat Kansas. 
and they played a three seed who beat the two seed, and then they beat a five seed who beat the one seed, and then they beat a five seed again who beat another one seed. So they never played a one seed. They never played a higher than a three seed in this tournament. So there's going to be people that are going to probably try and, you know, discredit it in time, but this team was just so dominant. They kicked the shit out of everybody they played. Like Gonzaga absolutely blew them out of the water. San Diego State probably played them the toughest. Iona played them extremely tough in the first half, and then they absolutely blew them out of the water in the second half. I, I was scared in that first game. I was really scared in that first game against Iona. I stopped watching it. Didn't even bother watching the second half because I was like, oh, I'm going to screw it over. But yeah, I had UConn winning the, or UConn, I had Alabama winning the national championship, 69 to 63. UConn beat Alabama by 15 points or something earlier in the season. So I was like, oh, Alabama will get their revenge against it. UConn. Nope, they did not. They did not. So yeah, UConn's run went from St. Mary's to Arkansas to Gonzaga to Miami to San Diego State. So in that run, they played three five seeds, an eight seed, and a three seed. So there's going to be some people in time that are going to bash that, and it's going to be sad to see how that works out. But this this March Madness was crazy. Absolutely crazy. You, it was the first bracket ever that had a 16 seed and a 15 seed winning the same year. Purdue's Eddie just won the Naismith Player of the Year. That's got to be the first player to ever lose to a 16 seed to win the Naismith Player of the Year. And he was relatively useless in that game against <laughs> Fairley Dickinson, who the coach Fairley Dickinson took the job at Iona. So... It's insane. And then Florida Atlantic, like, good Lord. People wanted to see Fairleigh Dickinson go far. People hated on FAU for beating them. And then FAU became a favorite team for everybody. And they beat Kansas State. They beat Tennessee. Like, these were some great games. Creighton looked really good. Creighton was so close to being in a Final Four spot. And then same with FAU. They were so close to being in a National Championship game. Like, centimeters away from dude stepping out. They're centimeters away from a National Championship game. So it's kind of looked like one of those things, oh, there are they the team of destiny? Because you look at the game against Creighton, they had the free throws at the end of the game, and then you had the game against FAU where they almost stepped out of bounds and didn't, made the shot. Like, UConn's going to dominate the entire tournament and just not show up in the national championship game. There was a, that thought did run through my head. Now, for the men's bracket as a whole, for March for the Final Four, I should say, the yellow paint on the inside of the three-point arc looked stupid. I don't know whose idea that was. I don't know why that was a thing. Because to my knowledge, the Rockets don't do that. So why the hell was the paint yellow? Or the inside the arc yellow? It was really strange. Really gross. And the tournament, like looking at it from some of the spots, playing a basketball game in a football stadium is not great for sightseeing. If I had tickets to a national championship game, I just wouldn't go. I would go to a women's one because it's in a normal arena. Like the women's national championship game was in the Mavericks arena. This was in a freaking Houston Texans stadium. I don't know how many people were there. It looked sold out, but the sight lines are ridiculous. It's hard enough to see the players in a football game from those those heights. And now you're trying to watch a basketball game, which is way smaller than a football game. Craziness. But March Madness was really fun. All the Iowa teams lost the first round except for the Iowa women's team. <laughs> Every other Iowa team lost the first round. Iowa State lost the first round of both men's and women's. Drake lost the first round of both men's and women's. And then Iowa goes to the national championship in the women's and uh, is out in the first round with the men's. Bad. Bad, 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 bad. Not fun. But, you know, we move on. We move on. And March Madness will continue to go on and again. The women's game will grow only further after this, which is awesome to see. Great national championship game. Not the result we wanted as Iowa fans. Obviously, they tried to hold it together on the court, got to the locker room, got the post games, then it got really sad and every all the tears started coming out, which is natural, which is natural. I'm excited to see what the future holds for Angel Reese. I'm excited to see what the future holds for Caitlin Clark. It's going to be fun. 
It's going to be fun. I can't wait for next year's March Madness. Ah, it's, it, it was fun. This is a good one. Sorry, everybody. I got a... It's going to be a random pause here because I had to... I, I think this is funny. I got a bloody nose just, <laughs> just recording. So if I sound a little plugged up, it's because one of my nostrils is plugged right now. I'm not going to take care of it now. I'm gonna, it sound, I feel like it sounds weird. It might not sound weird. It might just be in my head. But I don't care because I'm not, I bled on my new Cub shirt. I've gotten a stain on that Cub shirt. I got it last week. Came in the mail right before the Cubs opening day game against the Brewers last Thursday. And I got freaking, what was it? I got something on my shirt. Like on the sleeve somewhere. And then I had to go put spray and wash on it. So I didn't even wear it watching the Cubs game. And then today, I'm wearing it again because the Cubs haven't won since I last wore the shirt. So I was like, you know what? I'll wear it today. And then as I'm recording, a drop of blood just runs down my face. And now I've got another super awesome stain on my shirt. So they're spraying watching that. I've changed shirts. I've gotten the blood off my face. I've gotten a Kleenex yammed up my nose. And it's fun. And we're back. And now we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to go from college basketball to college football, and more importantly, the in-between college football and the NFL, and that is the NFL Draft. What a segue there, Logan. What a segue. Oh, my goodness. We are so excited to bring you the NFL Draft. we got Mock Draft 3.0 for you today. Super exciting stuff. We released it on Monday. Again, you can check it out on every single form of social media we have, or you can go to the LoganBlattmanShow.com and go under the blog section, or just scroll down to the main page, and you can find it there as well. Either way, just go and check it out on the LoganBlattmanShow.com. Again, links will be on every single form of social media. I would greatly appreciate it because I really enjoyed this Mock Draft because unlike Mock Draft 2.0, so far, it hasn't aged like milk a day or two after it was released. Because on Montrev 2.0, a lot of things changed because of the fact free agency was then. So, like, I had the Bengals drafting a tackle, which they could still do, but they signed Orlando Brown to a massive deal. Then you got the Cowboys. I'm drafting a linebacker because they weren't going to re-sign Leighton Van Der Esch. And then guess what? They re-signed Leighton Van Der Esch. And it's all these different things that took place like, gosh, darn it. I'm getting sick and tired of this. So I released Mantra 3.0, and so far it's not aged poorly yet. It could be subject to change, but it has, it's been good so far. And uh, I'm only going to go over the picks that are semi-new. Like, n- nothing that's, like, really out there. There's no trades in this mock draft, but, uh, yeah, because I, I don't want to go too long today. I don't want to go too long. I mean, I got a freaking plugged nose now. So I'm going to skim through some of the picks that we talked about last mock draft. So, and you can go read it all. It takes 80 minutes to read through the entire thing. So if you got just a spare 80 minutes, go and read Mock Draft 3.0. It's spell-checked and everything. So you can go on there and not have to worry about grammar mistakes and all that different stuff. It's a fun, fun time from the LoganBlackmanShow.com. I thoroughly enjoyed this Mock Draft. And it didn't take me as long. I got it done before the Women's National Championship game on, on Sunday. I got, before, I got it done before that. Usually, it's either getting done late in the day on Sunday, or like Draft 2.0, we're getting it done in the morning on Monday. So, like, there's different things that take place with this Draft, but this one went fairly smoothly. Fairly smoothly. There's no, again, I don't know, I guess I shouldn't say again, because I'm not sure if I said this before. There's no trades. <clears throat> we had trades in Draft 1.0, we had the Colts trading up to 1, and then we had trades going in this Draft, and we had the Panthers trading up to 6, and we had the... Montreal 2.0, we had the Raiders trading up with the Cardinals. Now, the first two picks are the exact same as last time. CJ Stroud going one, 
Bryce Young too. There was a report from Ian Rappaport. It was Ian Rappaport or, um, crap, Adam Schefter. I was completely blanking on him. That said the Panthers traded up, at least in their minds right now, from what reports are saying, for what sources are telling him, that they traded up with the mindset they're going to draft Bryce Young. That's what the mindset is. But like he said, like the 49ers, when they traded up to three with the Miami Dolphins, we'll get to that pick a little bit because the pick is still being used. The pick was used to trade that pick, got traded again, and traded again, and now it's with another team. So we'll get to that one. But they traded up with the idea for Mac Jones, which is widely reported. Kyle Shanahan wanted Mac Jones. We've talked about this before. My, Kyle Shanahan is, like, my family has a saying when it comes to, like, the, the females in my family, naming my mom and my sister. Because my sister is a fairly accurate clone of my mom. There are certain aspects from other family members, but we have a saying in the Blackman household where the apple has not fallen far from the tree, the apple is still attached to the tree. And that's kind of the similar situation with that of Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan, when he was in Washington, did not want RG3. That was an ownership decision. That was a GM decision. Because RG3 is an athletic quarterback that can do a whole bunch of different things. You look at the long-term future of the Washington team, you can go, we can go so many different directions with this offense. You can expand your offense. But Shanahan's like, I don't need that. I just want someone that can do what I tell them to do. So in that draft, they drafted Kirk Cousins in the fourth or fifth round. And Kirk Cousins is still in the NFL, and RG3 interviewed him at the Pro Bowl. So, like, he didn't, RG3 never really got a shot in Washington. He got hurt. They put him back in. He got hurt again. And then it was done. He went to Cleveland, Baltimore, and then he was done. And last, in the draft, with, we're talking about with Kyle, Kyle Shanahan wanted Mac Jones. But like in that situation, everybody in the organization said Trey Lance will be the better long-term option, and I agreed with that. I still, to a certain extent, agree, because Mac Jones is getting talked about getting traded. Bill Belichick apparently has been shopping Mac Jones around. At least that's what reports are saying. You can take that with a pinch of salt. I don't know if you want to take that seriously or not, but... Trey Lance is a better, at that time, was considered a better long-term option because he's bigger than Mac Jones, way more athletic than Mac Jones, has a stronger arm than Mac Jones. Like, everything you want from a quarterback Trey Lance was, he was just super raw. Trey, Mac Jones had played and played well at Alabama, won a freaking national championship game, came third in the Heisman Trophy race. Like He did everything he needed to do while at Alabama, worthy of a first-round draft pick. And he wanted that because Mac Jones though not as athletic, though not as strong of an arm as Trey Lance, Mac Jones can do the little things that Kyle Shanahan's wanting, which is why Brock Purdy worked so well, which is why Jimmy Garoppolo worked well. Like, all these different quarterbacks are limited, really, in what they can do, work well in this style of offense. You saw Kirk Cousins do well when he was in Washington, which is why he got a massive contract in Minnesota. He didn't get that out of nowhere. He played well before that. So, there's all these different things when you look at these quarterbacks that he traded up with the idea for 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 Trey, for Mac Jones, and they ended up taking Trey Lance. So if they have the idea of drafting Bryce Young, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. But I think C.J. Stroud right now is the favorite to go number one overall. And I've talked about this before. Though the idea of drafting Bryce Young is fun, I, I like Bryce Young. I like Bryce Young a lot. We've talked about him on the show numerous times, let alone in this draft, let alone when he was in college. We talked about when he was in high school. I like Bryce Young. I like C.J. Stroud. If they're going... That direction, if they're doing the whole Mac Jones, Trey Lance thing, then wouldn't it make sense for them to go with Anthony Richardson going number one overall? Wouldn't that make the most sense if that's the direction they're apparently going? If that's what they were comparing it to, that's the most common situation right there. 
except Bryce Young is better than Mac Jones was coming out of college. That's the difference here. So we'll see if that becomes a thing, but I think right now C.J. Stroud is the number one pick, and Bryce Young goes number two. I, I As of right now, it seems like those two are going number one and two. Regardless if it's to the Panthers, and te- whether Stroud goes to the Panthers or Stroud goes to the Texans, both those guys are going number one and two. Number three, Cardinals, we just haven't taken Tyree Wilson. Reports are they really like Tyree Wilson. A lot of teams have Tyree Wilson as the number one defender in the draft. He's got super long arms. His length's ridiculous. And like we talked about early in the draft process, this could be this year's Trayvon Walker, where you have a guy in Will Anderson or Aiden Hutchinson last year that is put up monster numbers in college. Hell, Will Anderson was a Heisman candidate last year. He put up monster numbers, led the nation in sacks. Like, this dude is elite. But you see what this guy could be in regards to his physical traits, and if you're looking at what the Cardinals really need, they need help on that line, that defensive line. They lost J.J. Watt. They lost Zach Allen, who went to Denver. J.J. Watt obviously retired. Tyree Wilson would fill that hole more so in regards to if he's playing on the defensive line, I guess. And I don't know if they're going to stick with a 3-4 defense or Jonathan Gann's going to switch to a 4-3. I don't know. So, but if you're looking for that defensive lineman like that, then Tyree Wilson fits that, fits that mold more. And I don't think Tyree Wilson at this point in time is better than Will Anderson. But I can see why people would have Tyree Wilson as their number one defender in the draft, giving his late. You can't teach length. He's got 86-inch wingspan. Like, it's ridiculous wingspan that he has. So I can totally see why he'd go number three or be the first defender off the board. As surprising as that might be, and it's going to suck if he doesn't work out and Will Anderson, who would probably go to the Seahawks at five, which is what we have here, that they would be linked forever because you're going to a division rival. And same thing goes with the Colts at four and the Texans at two. Division rivals will be on things here because the Colts, I had them taking Anthony Richardson. He's been working out with Gardner Minshew. I think ceiling-wise, he's got the highest ceiling in the draft. I've said that the entire season. So that the entire season. This isn't something new, some new revelation or we're jumping on the bandwagon here. We have talked about Anthony Richardson a shit ton on the Logan Blackman show since last year. We've talked about Anthony Richardson a lot. And I think Anthony Richardson really has a shot to go number one overall. He's extremely raw. The talent is there. It's just a matter of can a team coach him up to get him to the ceiling that I think he can reach. And I think if you're looking at the teams in the top five or even the top ten that can take quarterbacks, like the Panthers, I think they'd be a good spot because they got Andy Dalton. And you got Frank Reich, a quarterback, quote-unquote, whisperer. He would be a great person to have learned under Andy Dalton if that's the direction they end up going. You look at the Colts, they have Gardner Minshew. Jonathan Gannon looked worked really well with, uh, with Jalen Hurts this past year. You look at what Jalen Hurts did this past season. Came second in the MVP race with Jonathan or Jonathan uh, Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen's offense worked really well for that. Anthony Richardson would fit that. And you got Gardner Minshew, who can be a long-term starter. I mean, long-term is in the full se- the season. I'm not saying he's going to be long-term like multiple years of Gardner Minshew. No, it would be something that he starts this year, and then you trade Gardner Minshew or just have him relegated to the bench for Anthony Richardson next year, like a Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith type thing. They trade Alex Smith to Washington. And then you got the Seahawks at five. Geno Smith, three-year contract extension, really a one-year deal. You could go with that, too. And you look at Detroit, sitting there at six. Jared Goff's there. Anthony Richardson with Jamison Williams would be ridiculous. Like, they could be really fun to see in Detroit. And then you've got Vegas. They got Jimmy Garoppolo there. Like, all these teams in the top ten that could be spots for Anthony Richardson, we're just specifically talking about the top ten for now, could work because they have quarterbacks in place. This is not like Buffalo when they drafted Josh Allen and Nathan Peterman and A.J. McCarron. Two relatively unproven quarterbacks. And what we knew in Nathan Peterman throwing the five-interception game against the Chargers. McCarron relatively had been a backup his entire career. Played a few times for the Bengals when Andy Dalton got hurt. 
started a playoff game. But for the most part, everybody else that we just mentioned here, as of right now, if we're talking about comparing them to when the Bills signed A.J. McCarron, all the quarterbacks we mentioned are better than that A.J. McCarron. Whether you want to go back to that point or to now, those quarterbacks were better than A.J. McCarron. And the Bills cut A.J. McCarron, or traded him or cut him, and he went to the Raiders, being a backup there. Then he went to the Texans, now he's obviously in the XFL. And playing well for the Battlehawks. But these guys, all these teams have, and even the Lions, their offensive coordinator. Like, they've got coaches in place that would be very beneficial to the development of a guy like Anthony Richardson, who's got all the tools to be elite, but you just got to coach him up right. Because a lot of, the, we said this last year, or two years ago, when Trevor Lawrence got drafted. Everybody's talking about Trevor Lawrence is a can't-miss prospect. Trevor Lawrence is the best pro prospect since freaking John Elway. Can't miss him. He's going to be elite wherever he goes. It's one of the oldest sayings in the NFL. Like, if you have a guy like that, oh, he's going to be elite wherever. No, that's not always the case. Because Trevor Lawrence got drafted by the worst coach in NFL history in Urban Meyer. And if Urban Meyer was still there, or we're seeing in three, four years of Urban Meyer... We're looking at a completely different version of Trevor Lawrence, potentially. Because everybody can be a bust. Because bust does not just go down to the skill of the player. It also comes down to a lot of coaching. And a lot of surrounding said player. And if Trevor Lawrence stuck with Urban Meyer, if the Jaguars stuck with Urban Meyer, we may be looking at him a lot differently. They're not making the playoffs this year. We're not looking at Trevor Lawrence as a potential top 10 quarterback. Or not even potential, just a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. We're not talking about that. It's just not happening. Regardless if you like Trevor Lawrence or not, it's just not happening. That stuff's important. So you, I want Richardson to get drafted by the best coaching staff possible. And that's what kind of scares me about Trey Lance's situation, not because of Kyle Shanahan being like, oh, Kyle Shanahan's a great offensive coach. There's no debating that at this point. It's just that I don't think he wanted Trey Lance. So kind of a similar situation that of RG3 in Washington, coach never wanted him. So is there going to be a situation where Trey Lance gets traded? I think that's a possibility. You look at a team like Tennessee, was a 35-year-old quarterback, and really no faith in Malik Willis for at least what it, all I can tell. I mean, they played freaking Josh Dobbs in a, poten- in a potential play-in game for the playoffs. Like winning your in type situation. They played Josh Dobbs in that game. They don't have faith in Malik Willis. The GM of the assistant GM or whatever of the 49ers is now the GM in Tennessee. That connection's there. He was there when Jimmy when Trey Lance got drafted. So why Brock Purdy is the favorite to be the starter because he fits what Shanahan wants to do more. So I want Richardson to go to a team that wants him and that can coach him upright. I don't want no arguments with the coach. I don't want the coach wanting one guy and the team drafting this guy and the coach never liking the player because he didn't want this guy. Like the owner drafted this guy. I never wanted him. And it just never works out because the relationship's there. Like, relationship's fractured before it even really began. So I just hope Richardson goes to that spot and he gets coached up right and he could be elite. If not, he's definitely got the lowest ceiling out of the first-round quarterbacks. Because when you have that much talent, but not a lot of production in regards to the passing game, that gulf will be there in regards to he could be this, he could also be this. I don't think the comparisons to Marcus Russell are fair at all. Those are lazy comparisons. Not fair at all. And I don't think... I, I compare him to Josh Allen in regards to what he can do. I'm not saying he will be Josh Allen. I, I always got to make sure I clarify that. Because people would look at that and go, Oh, you think he's going to be Josh Allen 2.0? No, I don't. I don't think he'll be Josh Allen 2.0. Necessarily. I'm not saying he can't. But I'm not saying that he will be guaranteed. Like, I think this guy plays a lot like Josh Allen. Erratic at times. 
forces things a little bit too much, believes a lot in his ability, can an absolute hose for an arm. Like, all the traits you want, Anthony Richardson's got it. Size, everything. It's just a matter if you can help him realize that. And the Bills got a nice staff around him. They threw Josh into the fire because Nathan Peterman sucked ass. They threw him into the fire. Had to play start him week two. And to my knowledge, other than Sam Darnold, Josh Allen was the second rookie quarterback to start that year. Because Darnold started week one against the Lions. Baker didn't start right away. Lamar didn't start right away. Rosen didn't start right away. And Josh, who was seen as the biggest project piece in that draft, started week two. So sometimes trial by fire works. Sometimes having them get coached up under elite, or not an elite, but a good bridge quarterback is helpful. It just depends on if you've got the right support system around him, and that's what the Bills had. So that's important. So I think the Colts have that, and I think it'd be fun to see how they could do with him. I think they could work really well with him. I think him and Jonathan Taylor in a backfield together is freaking scary. I, I would love to see that happening. I'd be perfectly fine with that happening. Seahawks already said drafting Will Anderson, same as last time you get the best pass rusher in the draft, because the Cardinals want tools, and that's fair. It's fair. People want different things. Lions, we had to take him Jalen Carter. Tackle from Georgia. I I can really see the Lions taking a corner here. I think Devin Witherspoon makes a lot of sense here. They need help in the secondary. They lost a couple, they lost their two two of their starting corners this free, free agent piracy. What did I just say? Free agent piracy? This free agent window. I don't, I don't know what the hell I was trying to say there. But Devin Witherspoon fits here. But if Jalen Carter's there, I think Dan Kane will be one of the guys that could take him off the board and stop the fall. I think if he gets past Detroit, he goes to the Eagles at 10. That's my bold prediction. If he gets past Detroit, he goes to the Eagles. Because I don't think the Raiders, Falcons, or Bears would draft him. I don't think that. But we'll see. I haven't gone to the Lions still. Seven, uh, the Raiders drafting Devin Witherspoon. They need help in the secondary. Their defense stinks. That's been a, a, a common theme with the Raiders for the past however many years. The Raiders' defense absolutely sucking balls, giving up massive leads. And you look at their secondary, it's not great. It's not great. Like, they need help in that secondary. Devin Witherspoon could definitely do that. The Raiders play a lot of man defense. Devin Witherspoon is very good in mid in man defense. Like, and he hits. He hits hard. He feels like a Raiders player. He feels like a Raiders player. And, Logan, why don't you have Will Levis going here? I think that's a very real possibility. And Dale Jeremiah went on Pat McAfee's show today and said that the most likely outcome is probably freaking all the quarterbacks going in the top seven picks. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But that's not saying the Raiders are going to take him. That's maybe insinuating that a trade-up is happening, which he has linked in the past couple days. We'll talk about the team that traded up is going to possibly trade up here in a little bit. But the Raiders at seven need, need some defensive help, and I think Witherspoon would be nice there. Falcons, we had them taking Christian Gonzalez again. Uh, Bears, Paris Johnson Jr., again, they like length. Peter Skronsky might be the number one tackle for a lot of people. A lot of people also might view him as a guard. Bears like length. They've interviewed him twice. They interviewed Tyree Wilson twice at the Combine. They like length. That's what they're going to build their defense on. You'll get some of the defense they've been a part of, some of the organizations they've been a part of. Matt Eberflus being in Indianapolis with DeForest Buckner. You got freaking Ryan Poles in Kansas City with Chris Jones. They like length. Chiefs have always had bigger defensive ends. You look at this, Paris Johnson got length for days. He's the most physically imposing tackle, most looks like a tackle tackle in this draft, if that makes sense. And the, he's blocked for Justin Fields before. So they need help with the offensive line. Paris Johnson makes sense. Then we got 10, Eagles. Toward the idea of going with Peter Skronsky, the tackle guard, whatever you want to call him from, from Northwestern, got a hole at guard. 
Isaac Smello went over to Pittsburgh. Lane Johnson's getting older. So you've got some holes there. The Eagles always like to get young off the lineman in. You look at Andre Dillard coming in for Jason Peters. And Andre Dillard's gone. You'll sign with the Titans. You brought in Landon Dickerson. You brought in um, Cam Juergens. Like, all these guys to come in and play a year after they were drafted, essentially. Landon Dickerson was drafted to replace Jason Kelsey, but then played in a guard. And then Cam Juergens comes in, and now he's going to be a replacement with Jason Kelsey whenever he retires. Just signed a one-year extension this year. So the Eagles like doing that, but there being a hole at guard, I think makes sense for them. That if they, It would make sense if they go on here. I'm not saying that's what I would do. We haven't taken Nolan Smith. They like edge rushers. They love building the defensive line. There's been a lot of meetings with Nolan Smith and the Eagles. Fast for days. B- blew up the combine. Not necessarily the biggest guy out there compared to some of the other edge rushers in this draft. Like Lucas Van Ness would fit here as well because the Eagles like a lot of versatility on the D-line. But we'll talk about that a little bit later with their second first-round pick. Nolan Smith's just fast. Nolan Smith's got an insane athletic ceiling. Brandon Graham's getting older. was actually the first player Howie Roseman drafted in 2010, his first year as GM. Nolan Smith... May not be the biggest, but his ceiling is very high. Eagles have drafted players like this before. Brought Mike Mamula a couple weeks ago. Mike Mamula was not the biggest guy. I know that's not a name that you want to really be bringing up if you're an Eagles fan. I understand that, but like speed, he's 6'2", 238, ran a 4.39. Dude's got wheels. You got Hassan Reddick on one side. You bring in Nolan Smith. You bring you bring him up. Have him replace Brandon Graham eventually. Just sign a one year deal. So. I think it worked out. I think it would work out to see Nolan Smith there. Uh, 11. This is where we go interesting. This is where it gets a little crazy. And you know me, Logan Blackman, host of the Logan Black Show. We love crazy. We love crazy. That's why we talked about earlier. I'm as normal as I can be. Normal as I can get. Healthy as I can get. No better than this right now. Uh, you could be a little better. My throat's still scratchy. But that comes down again to me being tired. But 11, Will Levis going to the Tennessee Titans. And again, this is exactly what I talked about with the last mock draft. Where things aging poorly like a day or two after something comes out. Because it's not the mock draft that aged poorly. It's one of the shows we did last week. It was either Monday's show or Wednesday's show. Because we were talking about mock drafts. We went over Bucky Brooks' mock draft. And then we went over Mike Tannenbaum's mock draft. And I said on the show that there's a better chance of Will Levis going first overall than falling out of the top 10. And I meant to say that more around the fact of there's a better chance of that happening than him falling out of the first round. And either way, you want me to say, or I want myself to like revisionist history and all that, no matter how many times I want to say I said something different, I didn't. And then what happens like a day or two later, reports start coming out that, oh, Logan, you know the guy that said that could go number one overall? Has a better chance of going number one overall than falling to the top 10? Well, guess what? Apparently, he's tanking tanking interviews. Apparently, this is reports. I'm not saying this is true. Because I don't know. I'm not, I've done a single interview. I've never talked to Will Levis. I don't know anything that's going on in these meetings. And this could just be, I don't know, nothing great. Like It could be, it not. that's not how I wanted to word it. This could be something that's completely made up. Someone that just wants to tank his draft stock or something. Or it could be a team reporting that to somebody and then going, well, hey, he's tanking. His, he's not doing good meetings, so they hope he falls to him. It could be a lot of different things that go on. There's a lot of different things that could take place here. But apparently, Levis has been tanking the interviews because of the apparently he's got excuses, his overconfidence, which we brought up before. 
I'm I'm perfectly fine with having confidence in yourself. Perfectly fine being overconfident in yourself. But then, like, we talked about the combine. He's talking about, like, I have a cannon arm. And then when you throw at him, throw at the combine, I'm going to show it off at the combine. He didn't throw the best deep balls at the combine. It's, even in his group, he didn't throw the best. I, you could say, make an argument, Stetson Bennett threw better deep balls than Will Levis at the combine. Like, Will Levis didn't do very well in regards to the throwing portion of the combine. And he's talking about, he has a cannon. He didn't throw harder than Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Like, people talk about Will Levis has an absolute cannon through 59 miles an hour. Dorian Thompson-Robinson through 62. Will Levis thinks he's got the strongest arm in the draft, which he he has one of the strongest arms in the draft, but he doesn't have the strongest arm in the draft. That's Andy Richardson. And he's uh, the Sean Clifford thing apparently has been something that's brought up as well. And then now he's got to come out with these pictures that he's getting freaking huge. And it just looks so unnatural. It looks so weird. Like if you, I don't know if you've seen these pictures. Just look up Will Levis on like Twitter, or you look at like Will Levis workout on Twitter or on Instagram or not. In, maybe not Instagram. It'd pop up on Instagram, but on Google, it's weird. Like it's super like unnatural looking. That's the best way I can describe it. It just looks odd. The lighting is weird too. Like everything's just it's ominous. And Colin Coward, you know, consistent take. Colin Coward comes out and says, um. Will Levis is uh, lacks self-awareness and a turnoff for many NFL teams. Coward said that Will Levis is like a, quote, meathead from New Jersey trying to show off to his friends. Coward also said Levis shouldn't be taking pictures in the bathroom like, quote, every loser on the internet. Coward said he has, quote, never been a great, there's never been a great NFL QB that looked like a bodybuilder, which is fair. I don't know any bodybuilders that played quarterback in the NFL. I've seen a lot of dad bods work out in the NFL. Not really necessarily the most ripped guys in the world. Look at me. Not the most ripped guy in the world. Elite quarterback. Similar situation. But it was just a weird... His offseason has been weird. And the fact he skipped out on the camps as well. Like the Senior Bowl. Uh, Shrine Bowl. Like it's just... It's been weird. Offseason for Levis. And even saying all of that. There's like that small feeling now. A lot smaller than what I had last week. Of this guy could still go first overall. I think there's a chance. I think it's smaller than what it was, but I do think there is still a chance he goes number one overall, which would shock a lot of people. And there's some other reports that are coming out and saying multiple teams reportedly have Hendon Hooker over Levis and Anthony Richardson. I wouldn't be surprised about Levis. I would be kind of surprised if they had him over Richardson. That's where I would kind of be surprised. I think Hendon Hooker really looks like he's going to be in the first round, which is fair, which is fair. I was nervous about the ACL thing. His age thing was a little concerning, but he's, a, unlike Levis, apparently, he's been absolutely acing the interview process. And he's got the size. He's got the arm talent. He's got the mobility. Like, he's got everything you're looking for. He's just hurt and older. Levis is older, too. That's another thing people are concerned about. He's 23 years old, and he's apparently less ready to play than the likes of Stroud and Young, who he's two years older than that, which is not how it should be. So I haven't fallen here to the, the Tennessee Titans at 11, which again, could be something the Titans straight up for. So this isn't like, I think, like this could be a situation where Levis gets drafted by the Titans, but they draft him at seven or something, or trade or six, or whatever they trade up to. Apparently they've been linked with trades number three overall. Maybe that happens. I don't know if it will or not, but maybe it does, and they go after Anthony Richardson, which after watching what they've done with Leak Willis, I don't want the Titans to draft another quarterback I like. I don't want that to happen. I'm not saying I dislike Levis. I like Levis, but... I'm falling a little bit, quote-unquote, out of love 
with Levis in the draft process as we've been going on. Again, I don't think he'll fall to the first round. I'm not I'm not at that point yet. But out of the top 10, I'm a lot more comfortable in saying that than what I did last week, obviously, because I'm saying it now. But that timing was just perfect. It was like two days after I dropped the show. And I even put in the description. Like I'm going to pull up the the show description. Which episode was that? Pretty straight. Okay, it was last Wednesday. It was a week ago. Where is that? We look at some recently released small trust that currently, that certainly made us look twice. We discussed whether or not Tennessee Hooker, Hennon Hooker will be drafted before Anthony Richardson and discussed why Will Levis is more likely to get drafted first overall than follow the top 10, let alone first round. That's what we put in there. A day later, if that, then that comes out with the, oh yeah, uh, he's not doing good in interviews. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you're not doing good in the interviews, that kind of sucks. And we could, like everybody at this point, we're expecting four QBs to go in the top 10 or around the top 10. Last year, there was talks of four quarterbacks going in the first round last year. With Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, and Desmond Ritter all getting talked about first round potential. There was only one, first, not alone, let alone one first round quarterback. There was one quarterback taken in the first two rounds of the draft. So is this going to be one of those situations? I don't think, like, I know teams are going to be indifferent about some of these more project-based quarterbacks. But I don't think these, like, they have more size than the guys last year, too. Like, they're bigger than the other quarterbacks last year. So I think that will help them out in this draft process. But Will Levis, it's been a weird offseason. I'll say that. It's been a weird offseason. And with the Titans, we talked about this before. They have a 35-year-old Ryan Tannehill and a quarterback in Malik Willis they don't believe in, apparently. I wouldn't be surprised they drafted a quarterback. I think offensive line makes sense. But again, they they just signed Andre Dillard this offseason, a three-year deal. So he's probably going to line up at one of the tackle spots. So maybe they feel comfortable enough in the first round to go after a quarterback. I think that's a very real possibility. And I had Levis going to the Titans. And you can read all of this as well. I'm, I'm giving kind of the quick – I say this. I'm kind of giving the quick note version. But, uh, yeah, this one's a lot longer. I, I Yeah. Uh, number 12, the Texans, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I've toyed with the idea of Jackson Smith and Jigba going here in mock draft 1.0. But I – it's more of it's kind of a combination of injuries and teams apparently thinking he's only a slot guy. Some teams think he's only a slot guy, which is fair because he's only out of all of his catches when he dominated two years ago. Only eight of them out of ninety five were outside. Were not in the slot. Were not in the slot. And then you look at D'Amico Ryan's being a defensive minded head coach coming over from the Niners, who built a lot of their success off a dominant defensive line, off a dominant pass rush. You could see them going after a defensive end here. You look at like Miles Murphy or Lucas Van Ness or Nolan Smith, I think would be the ideal option. Especially when you look at they lost a, they lost a DN. A couple others are still unsigned. Jerry Hughes is 35 years old or turning 35 before next season. So that would be an option. But you also trade Brandon Cooks. Trade Brandon Cooks to the Cowboys. You signed Robert, Robert Woods from Tennessee. Wasn't at a thousand yard season in two years. And you also got Nico Collins and Noah Brown. So it's not like your sport for choice with the receivers in the Houston Texans. You're drafting a quarterback. You're drafting a quarterback. I know there's some reports going around that, oh, they might not draft one. No, they're drafting a quarterback. They're going to draft a quarterback. And they need receivers. They definitely need receivers. And Jackson Smith and Jigba, to me, I, I my top receivers in the draft are Jackson Smith and Jigba and Zay, Brown, Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers from Boston College. And then Jordan Addison's there too. Those are my top three guys. And I think with the Texans, you look at what they did last year. This is what I'm basing it a little bit off of. Jackson Smith, the Jigba, well, also, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, out of the peaks, out of the top receivers in the draft, he's had the best peak. 
I know uh, Jordan Addison won the Blitnikoff Award with Pittsburgh in the same season where Jack Smith and Jigba dominated. But Jack Smith and Jigba did this with two receivers that were taking the top 10. Or top 11, sorry. Chris Olave was 11th. Like, he did this with other elite receivers. Now you can say that hurts him because they're taking a lot of eyes off of him. Jordan Addison did it by himself. But Jack Smith and Jigba I, was elite, elite. Jordan Addison was really, really good. Jack Smith was elite, elite. And you look at what the Texans did last year. They drafted Derek Stingley third overall. Derek Stingley was elite, elite, elite before he got hurt. Freshman year, best corner of the draft, best corner in college football, bar none, as a freshman at LSU. Year they won the national championship with Joe Burrow, best corner in college football. Would have been the first corner off the board had he gone out, but he couldn't because he was a freshman. And he battles a bunch of injuries. And people are questioning his toughness and injury history. Jackson said the Jigba had a hamstring injury. This isn't like a broken foot or something. This is something that can continuously happen and can be a problem long-term, hamstring injuries. I know broken feet can be as well, but hamstrings are very vital to, uh, I guess, broken bones are too. But you got, I hope you get what I'm trying to say with regards to hamstrings being a problem if it's injured once. It could be injured multiple times. He barely played this year. But given his peak and given what he could be and that he was going to be an outside receiver this year, so... Like, I think he should be the first receiver out there. It's going to be him or Zay Flowers, first receiver on the board. At least that's what it feels like, and that's what I think it should be. But I think that the Texans are there. They didn't worry about injuries last year with Jordan, with Derek and Stingley. They didn't worry about injury with Kenyon Green. They drafted them both the first round. Jackson Smith and Jigma makes sense if they don't go edge rusher. Uh, 13, we have the Jets taking Peter Skaronsky. I mean, off the line, Jets need off the line. Guard or tackle, doesn't matter. Uh, the Patriots, we have taken Joey Porter Jr. From reports, they're saying they're taking either a corner receiver here. That's what they're leaning towards. So I went with Joey Porter Jr. They don't have a lot of height on the outside. Belichick is a defensive-minded head coach. They've always had a shutdown corner. They don't have that right now. They don't have any real number one options at corner. Joe, Joey Porter Jr., though he didn't test as well as what people were expecting at the combine, he's still a six foot two corner with a ridiculous thirty four with thirty four inch arms which are on par with Rob Gronkowski. So, like, the dude's got the ability. He's got speed. Football speed, again, is different than track speed, which is 40-yard dash speed. Didn't run anywhere near as fast as what he thought he would, but that doesn't mean he shouldn't be a first-round draft pick, and I think the Patriots would love to have him if he's available here at 14. Packers, Lucas Van Ness, we've got the same pick every freaking time. Not, nothing changed. Uh, Commanders at 16, we have him taking Broderick Jones. They signed Andrew Wiley, who was the right tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs last year. They signed him this offseason. They brought in Nick Gates as well, the center from the Giants. They need op- They still need help in the O-line. Sam Cosme, they drafted in the second round a couple years ago. Hadn't really worked out. They're either talking about benching him or moving him inside the guard, which is a pretty damning indictment if you're a tackle getting moved inside the guard. And they need help. They need help. Off to lines, their number one need. It depends on, I mean, corner's a big need for them as well. They don't have a true number one corner. True shut down number one corner. So those are their two biggest options here. Tight end is also there with Eric Bieniemy coming in. They got all the success with Travis Kelsey in Kansas City. Might want someone like Dalton Kincaid, who could be someone like Travis Kelsey in this offense. But off the line's the biggest need. If he's available, Broderick Jones would be a very good pick for them. 17 Steelers, Darnell Wright, same thing. Need help on the O-line. Darnell Wright, we had him going last month draft. Uh, the Lions, Deontay Banks from Maryland. Again, we talked about they need corners. They have two corners leaving free agency. They had a safety leave as well. They brought in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from Philly, which is a nice, which is a nice fill. Really good season last year with the Saints. Very solid safety. Or Saint, we played with the Saints, but really solid season with the Eagles. They still need help in the secondary. Defense stinks. Get Jalen Carter. Get Deontay Banks. Speed for days. Athleticism for days. 42-inch vertical. 11-4 broad jump. Like, the dude's an athlete. 
an absolute athlete. He's a beast. He's got the size as well. Like, he'd be a good one for you in Detroit. I think he'd fit in really nicely there. So, Jalen Carter and Deontay De- De- Banks, be nice get. Nice get. Bucks taking Anton Harrison. We said in the last month draft, he's going to be one of the riders in the draft. He's young. He's only 21 years old. He just turned 21 years old. And he's super athletic from the tackle position. That's very important. And when you just lost, or lost, you cut Donovan Smith, who had been there for a while. You need to go after another. You don't, I guess you don't need to. Uh, I took the Kleenex out. I don't know if you could tell, but it's on the table next to me. And I just touched it. Uh. But uh, what was I saying? <laughs> you drafted Tristan Wirfs in 2019 or 2020. You traded up to get him. Worked out really well for you. You cut Donovan Smith. I know running back could be something here. I like Rashad White a lot. I liked him coming out of Arizona State. I want to see him get a full-time job here. But if Bijan Robinson is available like he is here, I wouldn't be too surprised if they went that direction. But off the line's big. Get another tackle to partner Tristan Wirfs. Whether you want to play him at right or left tackle, you want to move Tristan Wirfs to left tackle. I mean, I wouldn't mess with a good thing. I just keep him at right tackle. And you have Anton Harrison there. Super athletic again. I think it'd be a nice pickup there for the Buccaneers who have that hole there. Uh, 20, Kalijah Kansi. I'm pretty sure we had that same pick there last time. Uh, 21 or 22, the Chargers, B. John Robinson. This one is because of Austin Eckler requesting a trade. I think Dustin, Dalton Kincaid makes a lot of sense here. We had him going here the first two mock drafts. Receiving tight end. You see what Travis Kelsey does has done in Kansas City, what he's done to you as a team. Travis Kelsey has dipped his nuts in the Chargers' mouth for however long he's been in the NFL. He's been doing it for years. Chargers always seem to be getting it from Travis Kelsey. So that would make sense. And especially when you look at what Kellen Moore did in Dallas with Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz was the second leading receiver on the Cowboys last year. They did a lot of things through Dalton Schultz last year. Now he's on a one-year deal with Houston. So that worked out really well for him. Bag fumbler. So we call him. But we'll talk about him in a little bit. As for Robinson, uh, this also works as well for, for Kellen Moore. Because they ran a two-back set in Dallas. And it worked well. It worked well to a certain extent. Everybody knows Tony Pollard's better than Zeke. But Zeke still got his touches. Zeke was still somewhat effective at times. Stupid contract, but still somewhat effective. The Chargers could do that here. They've been linked with Bijan Robinson in the past. So I think this just makes sense. I think you want to get more weapons on offense. And Austin Eckler, has he ever rushed for over 1,000 yards? Like He's not someone that needs carries. He can come in. They can do a lot of two-back sets as well. Like Austin Eckler can be that number, I mean, not necessarily relegate him to number two back, but you can do a lot of different things with Eckler and Bijan Robinson. Yeah, he's never rushed for over 1,000 yards. His career high in yards was last year at 915. Gets a lot of touchdowns, gets a lot of receiving yards, does a lot for this offense. But you get Bijan Robinson to be that true running back in this offense, have uh, Austin Eckler rotate around, whether it's a receiver, running back, wherever. It could be very fun to see what that offense does. Next up, we got the Ravens, Zay Flowers. They just need wide receivers. Whatever happens with Lamar Jackson, who knows? Apparently, they think he's going to be their quarterback next year. We'll have to wait and see on that. But if he is, you're going to want to get into receivers. They've been linked with Odell Beckham Jr. Apparently, they sent an offer sheet to him. We'll see if that one takes place. They still need help. Even if they get Odell Beckham Jr., they should still look for that. Corner can be an option here. Defensive back can be an option here. They've been injured to hell and back in the secondary for however many years now. But I think Zay Flowers, like we said, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and Zay Flowers are the top two receivers in this draft for me. So... And it just makes sense. Get the next best guy. He can play on the outside if need be. He's primarily a slot guy, but can definitely play on the outside if need be. He breaks a lot of tackles. He's a very tough player. Would fit in with the ethos of the Baltimore Ravens. 24. Got a text message about this yesterday from my friend Noah. Uh, Hendon Hooker. Going to the Vikings. This one is fun. 
I enjoy this one a lot because Kirk Cousins on the last year of his deal. He's 35 years old, or 30, he's going to be 35 years old. Last year of his deal, you get a guy like Hendon Hooker with this offense, with Dalvin, with Justin Jefferson, this could be an insane offense. Insane offense. Quick release of Hendon Hooker, you go fast pace. He can run the ball. You do a lot more RPOs with Madison, with Dalvin Cook, and all that stuff. Hawkinson, like there's so many pieces this thing could do with Hendon Hooker, and he doesn't need to play right away. He's got a torn ACL, so he'll not play right away. So there's not even really going to be any pressure on Kirk Cousins, really, because he's not going to be able to play. Like, if you look at the Vikings front office, they got a whole new front office. Rick Spielman and friggin' Mike Zimmer are gone. They're gone. And these guys have been linked with quarterbacks. They were linked with quarterbacks and with Justin Fields. They were linked with him. They were linked with Malik Willis last year. Like, they've been linked with quarterbacks. They were linked with doing all this homework on quarterbacks this year. And if Hendon Hooker keeps acing... um draft day interviews or draft interviews there's no way there's no reason why the Vikings couldn't take him here now I think there's corners a bigger need I don't think backup quarterback is necessarily the biggest need on the Minnesota Vikings because if you look at this team this is an era or a time now with the Vikings this could be a right for the picking time I guess you could say where you look at the Minnesota Vikings look at the rest of the NFC look at the NFC North I'm sticking with the division first Packers are possibly, probably, more than likely, trading Aaron Rodgers. So we'll see how Jordan Love does. They missed the playoffs even with Aaron Rodgers, so who knows what they do with Love. The Lions will be better, but they're still the Lions. The Bears will be better, but they're still a year or two away from actually being a competent team. Re- really. They got a lot of holes in the roster. They got to figure that out. So this is a year the Vikings could win the division again. Very open to that. And you look at the rest of the NFC. With Rodgers getting traded... There's no real elite quarterbacks. Like, there's elite quarterbacks, obviously, because I like Jalen Hurts there. But out of the elite, elite teams, there's only really, like, there's two, and then you can add in a third one if you want. And that's the Eagles, Niners, and Cowboys. Those are the best teams in the NFC. Other than that, it's pretty open. It's pretty freaking open. So if you're a Vikings fan and you don't want Hendon Hooker, that makes sense because you think you should be improving on a team that went 13-4 and or 14-3, and whatever they went last year. Like, you had so many opportunities to be a better team. They were considered the frauds of the league last year. Defense was injured to hell and bad. Or defense just sucked. They're not injured. I mean, the rookies were injured and Lewis Seen and Andrew Booth. But other than that, they just sucked. Ed Donatel sucked. Ed Donatel got fired. You brought in Brian Flores. You brought in freaking Byron Murphy. You brought in Marcus Davenport. Improvements to the defense need to be made. But with this front office wanting a new quarterback, potentially their guy, which is important to a lot of these people, Hendon Hooker could definitely be a guy here. It sounds like Hendon Hooker's going in the first round. And I think the Vikings would be a nice spot for him. I think the Saints would be a nice spot for him as well. Maybe he goes even higher than that. Seattle could be a nice spot. Tennessee could be a nice spot for him. Who the hell knows? I think he'd be a really nice quarterback in Minnesota, though. I think in that team, you play in the Dome, you got friggin' Jefferson, Hawkinson, Dalvin Cook, an offensive coach. Like, you've got all the pieces there. You get Hooker. That could elevate your offense even further. No disrespect to Kirk Cousins, though. Uh, 25, Jacksonville, Miles Murphy. He feels like a bulky pick. Trent Bulky loves traits. Look at Alden Smith when he drafted him in San Francisco. You look at Trayvon Walker last year, drafting over Aiden Hutchinson. Friggin' Miles Murphy is right up there in regards to traits. He's a massive dude. Lengthy dude. They let Arden Key go. Went to the Tennessee Titans this offseason, if I remember correctly. So they got a hole there. And you could play Murphy on the defensive line. You could play him as a stand-up outside linebacker. It doesn't matter. You play either one. So they play a 3-4 defense. He could play as an edge, a defense end on that 3-4, or he could play an outside linebacker. 
Doesn't matter which one. I think the length there is really key for Balky. So I think if they went like corner, I think like Healy Ringo would be a really solid pick for them here because it fits what Balky like his ethos in the NFL draft. Length, athleticism, ceiling. Keely Ringo might be rusty, or not rusty. He might be inconsistent, but he's got the skills. You could see them, the athleticism, the length, all that stuff. That fits what Balky wants. I could also see them going like Byer, Byer, uh, Brian Branch from Alabama. I think he could fit. His versatility would be key there. You could see them going like Osiris Torrance or one of the tackles because they just let Jawan Taylor go to the, the Kansas City Chiefs. They're saying they're fine with Walker Little playing there. Who knows if that's true, but they're fine with Walker Little replacing him. But if they don't go corner, I think Miles Murphy, if he's available, I think would fit what Balky likes in the NFL draft. Uh, 26, the Giants, Jordan Addison. We hadn't taken him last time. Uh, Cowboys, Dalton Kincaid. We already talked about Dalton Schultz. The Cowboys gave him a three-year offer, declined it, said he was worth more than that, test free agency, signed with Houston on a one-year deal. Bag fumble. That's what that one is. Bag fumble. They have a whole lot of tight end. They were using the tight end a lot last year. Again, we talked about Dalton Schultz be the number two leading receiver on the team. And you have a team now that's good. We talked about them. They're one of the top three teams in the NFC probably. I'm going to say probably. They are. One of the top three teams in the NFC. In a division that already has a team that's gone to the Super Bowl, the Commanders should be better. The Giants, they should be better. I mean, they're going to get receivers this offseason. They're going to improve. So, like, they're in a tough spot. And Jake Ferguson might be, you might feel he's fine there. I have Bijan Robinson's there. Take him. Like, why would you not take Bijan Robinson if he's available? Like, there's a lot of different options the Cowboys could go. Defensive line's also an option here. Like, Mozzie Smith, I toyed with the idea of him going here. There's options here for the Cowboys. Corner, like DJ Turner, Emmanuel Forbes, they could be options here. But with how this offense is going to run this year, I think someone like Dalton Schultz, you already got Brandon Cooks in to be a number two to CeeDee Lamb. Now you get a number one tight end in Dalton Schultz. That could elevate your offense even further than what it already is. Like, the offense is supposed to be good this next season. But it could be even better with adding someone like Schultz, who's the best receiving tight end in this draft. Uh, 28, Bills, Jack Campbell, Iowa. They're gonna. It seems like they're going to draft a linebacker. It feels that way, doesn't it? And I, it's going to be between Sanders and Campbell. But I think there's a couple factors that lean towards Jack Campbell going to the Bills over Sanders. Now, where Sanders has a higher ceiling per se and is a little more athletic and is younger, which the Bills like younger players in the draft. You look at Tremaine Edmonds, they drafted him. I think he was not even 20 or just turned 20 when he got drafted. They like the athletic younger players in the draft. Fits the mold and fits the ethos of what Brandon Bean wants. The other ethos of Brandon Bean is length. And you look at Tremaine Edmonds, him and Jack Campbell are the same height and weight. 6'5", 249. Same height and weight. Jack Campbell is a natural middle linebacker. Drew Sanders is not. Drew Sanders played in a defense that was the same as Buffalo's in a 4-2-5 defense. He's not a middle linebacker. He can play as an edge. He's more versatile than Campbell, but Campbell is that natural middle linebacker is what the Bills are going to be wanting because Matt Milano is not moving from middle linebacker. And I don't believe Dodson and Terrell Bernard, who was last year's third-round pick, are going to be real consideration for starting. I think they could be fine role pieces. I have a hard time believing at this point in time they're going to be the number one and two middle linebackers on this team next year. I have a really hard time believing that. I think I, I, there's part of me that could see it, but I, I just it's like a 1% part of me that was that could see that. And Campbell tested really well at the combine. Campbell's a natural linebacker, like natural, natural middle linebacker. He tackles tough. He never misses plays, never misses games, really. 
can play in the pass coverage, can play along the line of scrimmage. Like, he can do everything you want from a middle linebacker spot. He's tough as hell, and he's an Iowa guy. Doug Doug McDermott. Sean McDermott likes himself some Iowa guys. He's always liked some Iowa guys. Talked about them in the past. Matt Campbell, or Jack Campbell. Jeez, I keep combining names. Again, I'm tired. I'm sorry. Jack Campbell, Cedar Falls guy, Iowa boy. Like, I might got hired in the defense. One of the best players in the Bills defense, Iowa guy. They had Matt, or Cheese, A.J. Klein as the backup to Tremaine Edmonds as well. They like people from the state of Iowa. Look at Spencer Brown. For his shortcomings in the NFL, they like him. They do like him. They come, They like those Iowa guys. And Jack Campbell's a natural middle linebacker that has the size, has the athletic athleticism, maybe not as much as Sanders, but he could be the guy that could fill the middle of the defense for the Bills. I think it makes 100% sense to go Jack Campbell here. I know a lot of people want receiver. I know some people want offensive lineman, but Jack Campbell is probably going to go, is going to probably be where they go in the draft, or linebacker specifically. Uh, Bengals 29, uh, Michael Meyer, tight end. Hayden Hurst left. He went to Carolina this offseason. At least I think he went to Carolina. So they got a hole at tight end. Offensive line is going to be a thing here. You got Jonah Williams there who's requested a trade or requested to seek a trade. You got Lyle Collins who's on injured reserve. Or they might have released him. You know what? I think they might have released Lyle Collins. Or they've been in talks releasing Lyle Collins. No, he's still on the offense. He's still on the roster. But he's going to be out all season. Torrey is he like week 16 or something like that. So going to be out. He just signed Orlando Brown. So offensive line's not as big of a need as it once was. You, you instantly upgrade with Orlando Brown. You upgraded immensely with Orlando Brown. Now you need to add more pieces to the offense. I mean, I shouldn't say that. Corner's an option. You could go with a defensive lineman here as well. But I think adding another off- option to this offense would be really big. And adding someone like Michael Meyer, who is Baby Gronk, is what his nickname is, war number 87 at Notre Dame, dominant tight end both in the receiving game and in the, ru- in the blocking game, run game. And the Bengals are a very well-balanced offense. I was trying to figure out the word to use there. Well-balanced offense. They run the ball well, and they obviously pass the ball extremely well. And adding someone like Michael Meyer would elevate both options on there. I think he'd be fun. He could play in line. He could play on outside as well. He's versatile. I think he'd fit what the Bengals are wanting to do at tight end. Uh, 30, the Saints, Mozzie Smith. Defensive line. The Saints have lost a lot of defensive linemen. They signed Derek Carr this offseason, and have let a lot of people on the defensive line leave. Marcus Davenport, uh, David Onyata, Ani. Mata, sorry, and then Contavious Stewart and Shy Tuttle, Contavious Street, sorry, again, I'm tired, I'm not reading everything right, are all gone. So you got four holes on the defensive line, namely more on the interior than the outside spot. You got Cameron Jordan there, but they're going to need some depth on the defensive line. And I toyed with the idea of Brian Bressy here, but I went with Mozzie Smith, who's been rising up a lot of boards recently. He's a big dude, sneaky athletic, massive dude, absolutely massive dude. Didn't, like, run particularly fast, but again, that's not necessarily the number one key in regards to athletic ability. The dude's just a beast. Six foot three, three twenty three, absolute game wrecker. Fun. I think he fill a need for the Saints instantly. And they got the Eagles. I'm gonna say his name wrong because I said it wrong at the combine as well. Uh, Aitamwa Adabaro. I think that's how you say his name. I apologize if I'm saying it wrong. I'm definitely saying it wrong, but I apologize if I am. Versatile player. Had a very good combine. Very good combine. So. In comparison, so he ran a 4-4-9 at the combo, which again is not necessarily the end-all be-all in regards to athleticism. But when you're 282 pounds, and you run a 4-4-9, just for perspective, the guy we had the Eagles take him with their first pick, Nolan Smith, ran a 4-3-9. At 282 pounds, he ran 0.1 seconds slower than a guy who weighs 238 pounds. That is insane. They're the same height. He's just got freaking, what, 44 pounds on him. 
44 pounds heavier and ran 0.1 seconds slower. That is insane. And the thing that I like about him at this spot is because he can play on the outside and on the inside. He'll probably play as a three-tech on this defense. Because you let Javon Hargrave go, sign a massive deal with the San Francisco 49ers, you have a hole there. And you can also, again, like we talked about before, Brandon Graham's getting long in the tooth as well. So you can have him play on the outside if need be. You have Nolan Smith and him, that'd be a really good haul in the first round. Off the line could be a thing. Running back could certainly be a thing. Uh, corner will be a thing here. But I think if you're looking at the Eagles and what they build their team around, they like to get guys in that can learn for a year or two before taking over full-time. I think Adebaro and you got Nolan Smith, I think could both do that. Again, the versatility of Adebaro is key. Playing both in line as a defensive tackle, as a three-tech, and an outside D-end, that works beautifully. Him testing well is really nice. So I have him going 31 of the Eagles and 32 of the Chiefs, Will McDonald, Iowa State. So we have Iowa, Iowa State in the first round. Let's go. Iowa State's first first-round pick in like 100 years, it feels like. I don't know if the exact number is. It's been a long-ass time. It's been a long-ass time since the Iowa State Cyclones are their first-round draft pick. Will McDonald deserves it. He's not as big as some of the other D linemen in this draft or some of the edge rushers in the draft. He's only he's 6'4", 239. He's bigger than Nolan Smith, but Nolan Smith went to Georgia, so everybody's going to love Nolan Smith. The thing with Will McDonald that is crazy to me is that Will McDonald played in a 3-4-ish defense, but the thing was, it was like a 3-3 defense. It was, it was a weird defense. But the main thing I want to point out here is that when you have a guy that's sub-240, you usually see them playing as an outside linebacker. He played on the D-line. At two hundred sub-240, played a D-end as a fourth on a 3-4 defense. Essentially, again, 3-3 defense. That's impressive. He's the all-time leader in sacks in the Big 12. Consistent as hell. Super athletic. He doesn't necessarily fit the Chiefs' general mold. Because we talked about this earlier. Chiefs like bigger defensive ends. You look at George Karlaftis, drafted him last year, bigger guy. Frank Clark, they just released bigger guy. Carlos Dunlap was a bigger guy. Like, they got bigger defensive ends. But Will McDonald, his athleticism can reign superior over that. And you have a guy that broke Vaughn Miller's Big 12 sack record and the Chiefs who played against Vaughn Miller for two year, or two year, two times a year for seven, eight years, why not have your own Vaughn Miller? Like, off the line, I think it'd be a thing here, but it sounds like they like Niang at one tackle spot and the recently signed Jawan Taylor at the other spot. So that might not be as big of a need here. Receiver's going to be talked about a lot because McCole Hardman and Juju Smith-Schuster left this offseason. So that'll be talked about. But I think edge rusher is probably the Chiefs' biggest need. I liked Adebaro going here. I really like him going here because he fits that bigger defensive end mold that the Chiefs like. He's a big dude. Again, like we talked about before, Keon White from Georgia Tech also fits that bigger defensive end mold that the Chiefs have. But Will McDonald, I, out of the remaining defensive ends, I haven't ranked higher than Adebaro, but I think that Adebaro's versatility and him being able to play inside and outside helps the Eagles. I don't see them drafting Will McDonald. They drafted a guy like Nolan Smith. You're drafting the same player, essentially, with their first two round pick, first picks in the first first two picks in the draft. I don't think that happens. I could be wrong, but I don't think that happens. Will McDonald going to the Chiefs, I think just would be really fun to see. Athletic freak. Absolutely athletic. Playing as a D-end and a 3-4 front, 3-3 front, whatever, at 249 pounds playing D-end is really impressive. So we have Iowa and Iowa State both represented in the first round. Iowa State's first round, first first round draft pick in, I think it was around 50-something years. It's been a while. It's been a long-ass time. But that's Mock Draft 3.0. Uh, a quick recap of that. Number one overall, we had C.J. Stroud going to the Panthers. We have Texans taking Bryce Young, number two. Tyree Wilson going to the Cardinals at three. To the dismay of Cardinals fans, who won Will Anderson. 
Uh, Andy Richardson going to the Colts at four. We have Will Anderson going to the Seahawks at five. Jalen Carter goes to the Lions at six. Then at seven, we have the Raiders taking Devin Witherspoon with another corner and Christian Gonzalez going to the Falcons at eight. Bears taking Paris Johnson Jr. at nine. We got Nolan Smith from Georgia going to the Eagles at 10. Uh, Will Levis falls out of the top 10, goes to the, St- the Tennessee Titans at 11, who could trade up to draft him or Anthony Richardson or whoever. And he could, they'll, he could still go in the top 10. Houston Texans, we have him taking Jack Smith and Jigba at 12, which I just found out his brother plays for the Pirates. Didn't know that. Didn't know that. Saw that today. Uh, Peter Skaronsky, we have him going to the Jets at 13. Patriots taking Joey Porter Jr. at 14. Packers, we have taking Lucas Van Ness from Iowa at 15. 16, Broderick Jones, we have him from Georgia going to the Washington Commanders. 17, another tackle, Darnell Wright going to the Steelers at 17. 18, the Detroit Lions going Deontay Banks from Maryland. 19, the Buccaneers going Anton Harrison, the young tackle from Oklahoma at 19. Uh, Seattle Seahawks going Kalijah Cansey from Pitt at 20. Uh, 21, pick forfeited for the, Seattle, the Miami Dolphins. 22, the Los Angeles Chargers going B. John Robinson from Texas. Uh, Zay Flowers going 23 to the Ravens. Wide receiver from Boston College. Hendon Hooker, fifth quarterback taken in the first round, going to the Vikings at 24. Then we have the Jaguars at 25, taking Miles Murphy. Then at 26, Giants taking Jordan Addison. The Cowboys taking Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah, at 20. Jeez, 27. Uh, the Bills taking Jack Campbell at 28 from Iowa. Then we have Michael Meyer from Notre Dame going to the Bengals at 29. Mozzie Smith from Michigan going to the Saints at 30. Uh, Adetomwa Adabaro. Going to the Eagles at 31. And then the Chiefs taking Will McDonald from Iowa State at 32. So, positions drafted. We had five quarterbacks, one running back, three wide receivers, two tight ends, five tackles, three interior defense alignments, seven edge rushers, one linebacker, and four corners. And people who just missed out, I apologize for this. We only list 20 of them, but there's other players that I'd like to mention here as well. We have Jameer Gibbs from Alabama getting missed out. Jalen Hyatt, Quentin Johnston. Then we have Luke Musgrave, Darnell Washington, Dewan Jones. John Michael Schmitz, Joe Tipman, Osiris Torrance, Byron, Brian Bressy, Phoenix, Felix Anaduke Uzuma, uh, Keon White, Drew Sanders, Julius Brents, Emmanuel Forbes, Keely Ringo, Cam Smith, DJ Turner, Brian Branch, and Antonio Johnson. What's honorable mention to Steve Avila from TCU, the guard from TCU. That's all we got. That's all we got. Derek Hall from Auburn can also get a mention here. BJ Ojolari from LSU. And who else? So anybody at Tank Dell from Houston could get a mention here as well. Josh Downs from North Carolina. There's a few other players we could mention here, but I would encourage you to go check that out on the LogaBlamanShow.com. Again, you can find that in every single form of social media that we mentioned before. And uh, sorry for the panting at the end. I'm trying to read fast. And again, my nose is all clogged. I need to blow my nose. <laughs> oh my goodness. But I hope you enjoyed the show. I certainly did. I always enjoy the Logan Blackman Show. Especially after mock drafts. So our first, our last two shows have been around two hours. The baseball preview was longer, but they're longer shows. Longer shows. So I do hope you enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed watching March Madness this year. Uh, yeah, I'm just excited for everything to take place. We got the draft coming up in the end of April. We are in April. We are in draft territory. So get ready for that. And yeah, I will see you all later. Anthony Richardson reportedly slated to meet with the Titans or top... 30 visit. Oh, interesting stuff. With that being said, I will see you guys later. Have a good day and peace.